I'm Jay Pitts, a real estate broker, agent, leader, and investor. For the last decade, I've navigated the craziest of real estate markets this country has ever seen, selling over 2,000 homes, moving in and out of markets, always ahead of the curve. And now I'm bringing that perspective to you. This is your resource, and Real Talk About Real Estate starts right now. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Resource Real Talk about real estate. I'm Gabe Pruitt. And I'm Jay Pitts. Jay, welcome back. We're back, baby. So today I want to talk to you a little bit about, we're like a month into 2018. So we're yeah. just coming up on February, and I want to kind of take take inventory of where we're at so far, how our predictions have matched up to where we're at so far, as far as the market's concerned. And just so everybody is aware, I don't have a clue what you're going to ask me. <laughs> So we thought it might be a little bit of fun to kind of see if Gabe could stump me or get me off my game a bit. Okay. Well, I mean, I'm going to ask you some questions that range all across the board. So yeah, and I kind of I'm I'm kind of expecting that, but I don't have a clue what you're going to ask me. So let's. For the most part, think of this like as our to not to date our episode, but the State of the Union addresses tonight. This is like our State of the Market address that you're going to give. I'm going to have you do that kind of give your take. Speaking of the state of the market address, we talked about tax reform a lot in the past couple of months. That was sure. the big story. Absolutely. Do you think there's anything kind of coming on the horizon as far as uh, you know major legislative changes or anything like that that could be a big factor in the later parts of this year? Oh, no, absolutely not. Because here's what I'll tell you about that. Um, and a lot of people politically have revisionist history. Um, I think that's one of the big problems with our political system, whether it be right, left, center, you know, conservative, liberal, whatever you are, compassionate, not, whatever. Um, So the big, big thing legislatively in our industry that we've experienced in the last, you know, decade or two was the mortgage meltdown. Okay. Okay. The mortgage meltdown, you may not think that pertains to legislation, but it does because it was the Clinton presidency that deregulated the mortgage industry, which led to Bush doubling down, Bush the second, mm-hmm. um, you know, GW. One W, yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it was he that kind of doubled down on policies implemented during the Clinton presidency that, le- that ultimately put kind of the final touches on, you know, what would end up being the mortgage meltdown, the mortgage crisis. And that's so recent in people's minds, though nothing makes people forget bad times better than good times. And sure. with the Dow where it is, I don't even know where it is today. 26,000 plus. 26,000 plus. Might even be 27. Anyway, you know, breaking records almost every day. You got to figure there's some bubble built in there, but it can't be in mortgages. Okay. I, I can't possibly see it. Number one, we don't see it with boots on the ground here. We don't see people getting loans that shouldn't be getting loans. Good. Okay. Um, those those unscrupulous practices that have, you know, that riddled the the early two thousands and the late nineties just aren't there. So uh, that won't happen. And I don't see any. You know, tax reform has come and gone. Okay, we know what it is. We think we know what it isn't. And I, I don't see any major changes. You know, 
nothing that's going to drive our industry. Okay. Well, outside of the political sphere, then, do you see anything else happening maybe in the private sector, major companies? We talked about Zillow a lot, but it seems like Amazon gets a lot more buzz than Zillow nowadays. So do you see any other factors that could have an impact on the market in 2018? I think you're going to continue to see large companies proliferate multiple industries. Healthcare is the latest. Okay. Do you see about that? There you go. I uh, I don't know a lot, but I, I know the reference. I mean, I'm a headline. I ha- I've headline read. Well, same here. So, um, so but you're going to continue to see companies like Amazon, for instance. We talked about in a prior episode how they are leveraging their network, their following, right, so that to proliferate multiple industries. I, I don't think it's actually live now, but Amazon – was going to get into the brokerage business in the way that a lot of large scale companies have um, at different times. They they've leveraged their network for referrals. Sure, and it's really easy for a large company that that wields a lot of influence to say, "Use us to to find your realtor, and we're going to farm out at a at a referral fee, and we're going to give you some sort of benefit." Like where I really see Amazon. And companies like Amazon getting into the real estate space is by placing those referrals and rebating okay. a portion of the fee they earn to the consumer or crediting crediting it towards services already provided. Gotcha. Okay. And and as long as people think real estate commissions are too expensive, um, you're going to continue to see that proliferation. And I'm sorry that no, it that could be sense. the word the word of the day, but. Um, proliferation. Yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> I tend to focus in, but yeah, that's, that's how I see companies like Amazon. And I think you're going to see more companies do it. Gotcha. Okay. Well, this is all, you know, huge, big scale stuff. Let's zero in a little bit. What do you sure. think are the major things that are going to change our market? Not, not our market for our listeners that aren't in Louisville, Kentucky, like we are, but for you, what are you thinking as a, as a business leader, as a broker and as a team leader is going to be the thing that defines 2018 and makes it different from last year. Okay, now this is it's a great question, and this is going to get a little heady, and this is for real estate professionals. Okay. I believe, and I'm fresh off of, and you know this, our yep. listeners may not know this, but I'm fresh off Agent 2021, a conference I attended in um, in Miami with Gary Vaynerchuk and Tom Ferry and Ryan Serhant and Chris Smith and some real movers, shakers, influencers, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Specifically in the marketing um, branding and media kind of sectors of our business and businesses like ours. It was called Agent 2021, uh, which is actually a really interesting concept why he named it that. Uh, he says he named it Agent 2021 because it will end in 2021. <laughs> interesting. So his goal, G- Gary's goal is to, I just thought maybe it was like marketing speak, like Agent 2020 is like, Vision 2020, like sure. people, it's, it's it's cliche. So he was going to make his 2021. No, the the truth is, he said, I have a goal to create the number one agent conference in the world by 2021. And when I hit it, I'm done. Hmm. That's okay. what he said. And um, it felt really interesting. It felt very powerful. How many people were there? Many, 800. Okay. Not very many. For, for a conference like that, for a one day conference, 800 is a lot of people. Sure. But 800 people, like, I mean, I think he wants it to be 8,000. I think there's a reason why he had it in a stadium. Okay. Okay. Uh, so back, back to your question What do I think is going to happen in 2018? 2018, for me, everybody knows that social media is here to stay. Everybody knows that the, the internet has changed our lives immeasurably. 
everyone understands that those things have both changed our lives, but also changed marketing, changed the way we consume products and services. I think, and everybody understands that video mm-hmm. is a big part of that. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, look at camera. Yeah. Hello. 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 <laughs> um, everybody understands that video changes the way we market as well. I think 2018 is going to mark a changing of the guard a little bit. Now, what I, let, me, let me elaborate. What I mean by that is there are plenty of digital marketers out there. There are plenty of direct response marketers out there. So for our listeners that don't know what I mean by direct response marketing, it's when you require an action of the person you're marketing to. The action equals success on some level. So for you realtors out there that put up an open house ad with a link into Facebook and the link clicks, goes out to your website and requires before they do anything else, a registration, or even after two or three things that they do, a registration, that registration is the direct response. That equals success. So I think brand engagement marketing, which is the absence of a direct response, just a brand impression created, is going to eclipse direct response in my industry, in our industry, I think 2018 is going to mark the year it started. Interesting. One of the big things that I hear about this a lot, though, especially when you're talking about this brand engagement marketing, it's definitely not a secret. No matter who you talk to, every guru is saying it's like right now it's video time. It's time to do video. A lot of times they call it content marketing. Content marketing. That's a great another way to think about it. How long is it really going to last before this flood happens and people lose their taste for it? I mean, Facebook is already rolling out new algorithms to make sure that people are seeing more of their friends and family on their timeline and less of advertisers. And I'm sure Gary talked about this at Agent 2021, that very soon these major social media companies are going to crush the small advertiser. uh, And very soon there's only going to be one type of advertising that's really going to cut through. So how long do you think video and content marketing will last before it gets too big and I, I, well, I don't think video or content marketing is ever going to go away. Okay. Let, me t- let me tell you what could happen. The distribution channel that is most effective right now, which is social media, could become, could become so expensive that the small player cannot afford it. But what will happen then? They'll find a smaller, you know, upstart social network, I don't think that trend's stopping, right? Facebook may become too expensive to advertise. It's actually a point that Gary made. He said when Coca-Cola, Budweiser, Chevrolet, you know, Bausch and Lomb wake up and decide that they should be spending, that they should flip their funnel, that they should stop spending 80% of their ad budget on television and start spending it on social channels, that ends Facebook for the small advertiser. Someone that's not Budweiser. But then guess what happens? It's hard to be a big company and be cool. Okay? It's hard to be a big company. Well, it's near impossible to be a big company and be nimble. Okay? You and I, Gabe, we can be nimble. Yeah, we can go where we can be the cool people are. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> you know, we like to think that we can, right? Sure. But the truth is, is that you and I are tasked with as marketers with coming up with increasingly engaging and cool ways to appeal to people. It's an attention grab. That's all it is. You know, it's like, it's like, um, it's like a war, right? And, and in a war you want to advance your battlefront. Okay. The battlefront is the intention, the attention span of the consumer, right? So 
how do we cut through? Well, right now we cut through with a lot of Facebook ads. Okay. Anytime we drive content that we create, which is frankly, this podcast, this video we're shooting is content. We advance that content to our, our audience through Facebook ads, but that, that may, that may, that may cease to be one day. Sure. It really may. Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't alleviate our requirement to continue to generate good content. Now, let me tell you what I think for real estate agents, this looks like, it looks like you need to be the social influencer of your micro market. Okay. So of Louisville, Kentucky, I need to be the real estate guy that shows you what your life is going to be like when you buy that house. Okay. Where are you going to go to eat? What, you know, where are your kids going to go to the park? You know, where are you going to sign up for little league? What schools is it going to be? You know, what does a fire, what does the fire chief have to say about fire safety in Middletown? You know, things like that. And, and everyone that consumes your product or your service, your, your, you know, buys a house or lists a house from you as a realtor, everyone's interested in that content, Gabe. And if, and if produced well, okay, you're going to get eyeballs no matter how you distribute that content. Right. Okay. So that's where realtors need to look. And I think 2018 is going to mark the year where you get more business, your direct ROI from interviewing the local fire chief becomes greater than, you know, a Zillow style Facebook lead capture ad. Yeah. 2018 is that year. Interesting. Well, this kind of hits up and, and breaks against something else that I've been hearing too. We're talking about how brand engagement is going to be stronger than direct response. Or is that what you're saying? The direct response will give way to brand engagement. Well, brand engagement's always been there. Like, and, and I use this example a lot and you're going to laugh. Um, you don't know the ROI. You can't, you can never put a finger on the ROI of how many Coke, how many Cokes Coca-Cola sells by having the American Idol judge drink out of a Coca-Cola cup. Sure. They just know it works. Yeah, you can't right? measure it. Generally speaking, that's the challenge with that the gearheads like myself when it comes to marketing ha- struggle with with brand engagement marketing. We know it works. Okay? We know that when I start a new Facebook ad campaign and then over the next 90 days I get eight calls out of the blue from people I already know to list their home, we know that, that something's that, working. That contributed. Yeah. Okay? Um, what we don't know is just how much. So what do you do? You spend, what do marketers do by the way? They ruin everything. Sure. Okay. It's because they find something that works and then they double down. And if it still works, they double down again. And if it still works, then they triple down the third time and they do it until it breaks. Mm -hmm. It's hard to break brand engagement because you don't know the exact ROI. It's too tough to measure. Sure. Okay. So that's why, that's why I think, uh, we're entering a new era. Yeah. And I think you break, you break brand engagement when your content's not relevant anymore. Absolutely. And I think that's been a conversation that everyone has had since Facebook's been around. What do I post? You know, I don't like to do videos. I don't like how I look on camera. And so, you know, they post reposted articles that every agent in their market is posting. And that kind of stuff is just not going to fly for much longer. The truth is, is you can't worry about what you look like. Trust me when they meet you and see you in person, they see you. Yeah. (laughs) They know what you look like. (laughs) Like they don't think you're more attractive because you look better on video this one day out of the week. They know what you look like. Sure. Yeah. Well, go back to direct response. Before we leave Facebook, one of the biggest things that I'm hearing is coming out in the world of direct response marketing is this, all these new integrations that we might see in Facebook Messenger. And I hear a lot about this. And so this is the opposite of brand engagement marketing. This is right at the heart of direct response. You're messaging someone in their inbox. Is that something that you see yourself taking part in if it were to scale 
in a way that we could use it. Absolutely. But here's the thing. Don't sell brand engagement short. Okay, so I did a Facebook Live video the other day where I walked through a potential investment piece of real estate. And while on that, now I said calls, but I'm lumping everything in. I truly got one call mm-hmm. from that, but I got two Facebook messages. Yeah. So think about that. A pure brand engagement. I asked nothing of the, the viewers. Of no that call video. to action whatsoever. No call to action whatsoever. I simply, Gary would call that a jab. Right. Okay, a jab is a give in, in the way of value content. Give, value yeah. give. So I gave value. I said, this is what I look at when I evaluate a piece of rental property. This is what I do. This is how I say it. This is how I look. This is what I'm, this is what I'm considering. And I got two Facebook messages, one asking for the address from a potential buyer. That's the, the best kind of response. And the, other, and the other was a closely, closely held member of my sphere of influence that basically said, you know, did you buy that one or is it for sale? Like, cause basically what he was trying to figure out was, do I still have a chance? Yeah. And so don't sell brand engagement short that it doesn't have direct response opportunities. True. You're just not asking for it. And that's why the jab, 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 right hook actually works. So messenger can, can play a role in a brand engagement piece. It doesn't have so to be just th- think about, response. think about this and you, I'm going to ask you to allow your mind to go where it could potentially go. Okay. I do a Facebook live and 25 people watch it throughout the total of that. Facebook knows who watched it, right? Sure. So do you think it's beyond their capability to deliver a direct message to that watcher from me saying, Hey, how'd you like my video? Hey, thanks for watching. Thanks for watching. What'd you, what was the, was there a, was there a takeaway? Is that in the works or is that already a thing or? Oh, it's definitely a thing. Okay. It's definitely a thing. I mean, I guarantee you. That has you, a lot of potential. Yes. Especially does. if you're in charge of scripting what the message says. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, so no, DRM's not dead. Sure. It's not dead. It's just going to be overtaken. It's going to have to evolve. And, D, and yeah. DRM works. Okay. The, the, it works best when you can f- segment the people that are ready to act right now. Sure. Okay. The trouble is, in most industries, what do I say? People... Don't go to Facebook to shop for homes or any social media for that matter. But people who are shopping for homes are on social media. Okay. So that tells me that they're there mixed in with a lot of other people that may even be interested in hearing my message, but aren't ready to act on any piece of, you know, actionable information. Um, it's harder through social media channels to, to separate or segment your audience. Zillow. Yeah. They don't have to segment. No, every, you have all of no reason to go to Zillow yeah. unless you're ready to transact real estate. Sure, or, or at least we, you're interested in transacting real estate. Or at least interested, estate. which means so, so. The only the only variable in that place is lead time. Mm-hmm. Okay, and, and we run into that too, Gabe. You talk to people that that um, talk to us because of their Zillow searches every day, and they may be buying tomorrow, and they may be buying in six months, or they may be buying in eighteen months. So. DRM and brand engagement is no different sure. in that respect. You gotcha. still have to filter and qualify. Got it. Well, I want to come up for air out of this marketing conversation for a minute because we got pretty deep into that and switch gears on uh, you for a second. Everybody knows I'm a nerd well, when it comes to that stuff. We'll get it, give everybody a, a chance to catch their breath. But let me switch gears with you for a second. 
Another hallmark of the end of January, beginning of February, uh, is this is the time where a lot of people have to, to do reality checks on their New Year resolutions and goals. Ooh. And I know that we as a team had some pretty ambitious goals set out for the beginning of 2018. So, and I know that was kind of the idea this year. We And we addressed that early on, that these are ambitious goals that we're chasing. But let's hear from you. What do you think as far as what you envisioned for the team in 2018? Are we on pace? If we're behind pace, what are we doing? And, and what does it look like the rest of 2018 based on the goals you set? Okay, so it's a hard question to answer. Um, and I'm going to have to answer it in two ways. Okay. Okay. Production-wise, when you just make a very linear kind of progression throughout the year, we're behind. Sure. But, but January seasonal. Like, like we know it's a fact that you don't sell as many houses in January as you do in July yeah. or June or May, for that matter. So we're behind the eight ball when it comes to production. But activities, if you extrapolate, like how many appointments have we gone on? How many exclusive buyers do we have booked? How many you know, exclusive sellers, how many commitments from sellers to list their property at some point, there's some variables that are beyond our control with respect to like the end outcome, but the yeah. KPIs are there. And KPIs, for, you're talking about key performance, indicators. key performance indicators. Some people call them key predict, uh, production indicators, key performance indicators sure. is the term. Um, but yeah, we're, we are poised to have a monster. Here. Well, for people that, that are interested in when you just talked about KPIs, what we're really talking about is the difference between lead indicators and lag indicators, right? Absolutely. So for, for other agents, like we said, that are listening and that are maybe are not familiar with that, what that means and they're struggling to track their goals effectively and they're curious as to why they can't get a handle on the vision that they have and turning it into reality – I want to talk for a little bit about what the difference between lead and lag indicators are and why that's made such a big difference for our goal setting and tracking. No, absolutely. Okay, so a lag measure or a lag indicator, um, and, and remember all this is subjective. It, it, it depends on where you start and where you stop analyzing. Okay. Okay. So um, if I'm analyzing for, and, and I'm sorry, this is just going to be heady and I can't do anything about it. Sorry, it's kind of like, like algebra, right? Yeah. Uh, what are you solving for? Okay, so if you're solving for or considering, um, let's say, gr um, closed gross commission dollars, okay, okay, then that would be the lag measure. The lag measure is always the last thing you're tracking. Okay, okay? the end result. It's the outcome. Yeah, that you're that you're uh, assessing. Okay, so gross commission dollars earned. Uh, would being a lag indicator, a lead indicator would be number of transactions closed. Okay. Cause based on some assumptions made, you could say if I close X number of transactions, it's going to produce Y commission dollars. Sure. Okay. And you can look at, you know, average commission rates, um, average sales, average price. sales price, et cetera. Right. Very, very simple concept. But if you're solving for number of transactions closed as a lag measure, your lead measure could be number of offers written. Number of offers accepted, number of appointments, number of conversations. Yeah, going back and back. Okay, and back, you can back. go back and back and back and back. So, in order to effectively track your goals, and, and I, a saying comes to mind is, "How do you eat an elephant?" Well, you can't even begin to understand how to answer that question, and then the person asking it typically gives you the answer, which is one bite at a time. Right, and it seems like almost to a fault make too much sense. Right, well, I, I guess you're right. How do you eat anything one bite at a time? Sure. So. What that simply illustrates, Gabe, is that you need to know your assumptions and you need to know your 
your desired outcome. Yep. Based on your desired outcome, you can back into with assumptions the different metrics you need to track. So, for example, like you said, we assume that if you call this many people, you'll get this many people on the phone. And out of those people that you talk to, this many will be interested in setting an appointment. And out of those appointments that you hold, this many will turn into someone that writes an offer. This many offers turn into this many contracts, and et cetera, and et cetera, until you have your closings, that lag indicator. Do you want me to make it simple? Sure. Okay, I'm going to make it really, really simple. Transact number of transactions closed is more controllable than gross commission income. It's easier to increase the number of deals you close than it is to increase your average sales price. True. Yeah. Okay. So understanding that you should focus and it also speaks to the amount of time and you can really simply understand like your support and am I staffed appropriately if I'm a team leader or if I'm an independent agent, what, what is my capacity work wise? Um, you can do that pretty easily with number of transactions. And if you've been in the business a few years, you pretty well know, what your capacity is. So very simply uh, to, to get where you want to go, you need to know how many transactions you can close that can take you to income really easy, or you can get there from income really easily. Just understanding your average commission rate and your average sales price. Sure. Okay. Or what your market average sales price is if you're not in the business a long term. So number of transactions, let's just, let's just say for simplicity's sake, we want to close 50 transactions, which is a really good year for most agents. Right. Okay. 50 transactions. How do you get from there to appointments, which is the, with new prospects, which is the most, it's the best KPI for transactions closed. How many new people are you meeting to discuss real estate? Um, I operate under what's called the 70-70 rule. Sure. And you've heard this before. Absolutely. But basically what you say is the number of transactions you close is going to be 70% of the exclusive clients you have earned. Mm -hmm. Okay? And the number of exclusive clients you have earned is going to be 70% of the total appointments that you go on with to, to speak with new people about real estate. Yeah. Okay. When you add those together, 70% of 70% equals 49, which is basically Just about f- half. Yeah. Basically half. So that tells me that if you want to close 50 transactions, you need to go on 100 appointments. There you go. Yeah. And, and that's as simple as it can get. And it goes the other way, too. If you want to start with the number of appointments you can set and figure out how much... What that turns into. What so. that turns into, the, the equation goes both ways. So the, remember, the 70-70 rule says that you're going to close a transaction if your skills are where they need to be with half of the appointments that you go on. There you go. Yeah. Very simple. There you go. Well, that's a, I mean, that's a pretty decent explanation. So if you're somebody that's hearing this for the first time, there's a very easy way that you can backtrack and figure out where you need to be. Absolutely. Right now, if you know where you want to end up. Absolutely. So another thing to consider is that most people ruin when they do goals is they they forecast their needed production to meet their goals over a 12-month cycle. Yeah. Okay, now, t- the year of 2018 is arbitrary. If you close it in January of 2019, you still that money still spends. Mm-hmm. Okay? The yep. commission income still spends. You still pay taxes on it. You're not getting out of it, you know, but you also get that and money. March 2018 to March 2019 is also still a year. It's also a 12, 12 months of a calendar yeah. year. My point is... If, if we're doing the thing, and, and it works in real estate pretty well, when you think about the seasonality of our business in most markets around the country, things slow down in the winter, and it's a good, you know, personal obligations with the holidays ramp up, your time is, you know, split across 
business and personal, it's, it's, it's a natural time to slow down, um, you know, look backward at what's worked and what hasn't and reforecast your goals for the coming year. So it works. Okay. I'm not against the January to December goal cycle, but if you're doing that, you need to basically only give yourself about nine to 10 months worth of procurement time. Okay. Because if you don't have somebody under contract by October, it's probably not closing in that calendar year. So really, you know, if you're tracking appointments, if you're tracking pending sales, you're really running from about November to November, November 1 to October 31. Okay. On your goals. I can see that, yeah. Okay. Which is why, you know, if your January isn't what it what you'd like it to be, you don't have January to blame for it. You have November to blame for it. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So there you are. That's a good point. Well, while we're on the topic of goals and New Year's resolutions, so to speak, I don't know exactly where your stance is on New Year's resolution on the hokiness scale, but I think to wrap up today, let me ask you, what is something just personally that you resolved to do at the beginning of this year that has been good so far that's had a ripple effect on your business or if there's something that's had a bad effect? No, I... I I prefer words like intention or resolve or decide versus, you know, goals or dreams or aspirations. Sure. I mean, like, I prefer the action-oriented stuff, so you're absolutely right about that. Um, what's something that had a bit – you know, when, when you ask me this question, there's one thing that really sticks out, and that is a quote from Mr. Sharon Srivatsa, and I don't know if he stole I think I've it. heard of that guy. Yeah, the Oracle. He sounds familiar, yeah. <laughs> the Oracle of Southern California. Anyway, no, Sharon – uh, I don't know if he, he probably did rip it off from somebody else, but he he is the one that introduced myself to the quote, and I didn't take the time to see if it was original. But it, it says that if you don't have the business you want, it's because you're not the person capable of having it. So at the last few months, and, and I must say that, you know, 2017 was the best workout year I've had in a decade. Fitness-wise, yeah. Fitness-wise. Fitness yeah. You know, I ran a marathon in 2007, and I've not – since then, and I, and you know, I've ran a couple of minis, I've run some 10Ks, 5Ks races, did some weightlifting, and whatever uh, in the decade in between, but I've never been as consistent. I, I would say I averaged probably three workouts per week for the entirety of 2017. Um, it's no small feat. Oh, I had a goal to work out three times every single week, which I didn't make, but I had a few fours and fives to make up for it, okay. Um, in a week, so so coming off of that. Um, to be able to say this, I think, is really powerful because for January and actually most of December as well, because we resolved at the beginning of December with our New Year's goals, right? Yeah. And we, we took a trip down to Dallas as a team. Um, I, I resolved to lose 15 pounds, which actually turned out to be 20 after the trip. <laughs> so I went down there thinking I was one weight. And when I returned home, I only I found out I was five pounds heavier than I thought I was. That's <laughs> what happens when you eat out and drink. Yeah. Uh, you know, too much for such as life. Days. Yeah. Such as life. So, um, actually 20 pounds by February 14th. And I'm happy to say I'm 15 pounds light with two weeks ago, two weeks ago. Yeah. So I think I'm going to hit that goal. I have worked out as much as 22 times in a 30 day span since then. Yeah. And That's more I, than three I, days a week. And, and after having, you know, sick kids, sick wife, sick myself, and a blizzard, mm-hmm. you know, here that, 
you know, no school cancellations and all kinds of other problems, sub-zero temperatures, I've still worked out probably, well, I, I don't know the exact number. Um, I think it's 17, 18 times in the last 30 days. Okay. So, I mean, that's a pretty, that's a pretty impressive feat for me, especially with two young kids. Um, I, I've been really pleased with that. And, but more so even than that, I've been pleased my eating habits are way better. And I find myself having more energy, being more aware, being a better husband, being a better father, being a better leader. Interesting. And so those are things that it resonates with me. You know, if you're not, if you don't have the business you want, you're not the person, the person capable of having it. Which includes fitness, which includes financial fitness, which includes a lot of different things. Work on yourself. Yeah. Because I think for a lot of people, they have their work goals in one in one hand and, and then their fitness goals in the other. And it's like, well, I've only got time for one. And well, they, view, they view them as oppositional. Sure. If I'm going to have success at worst, I, I work, I can't have this. The truth is that just, and I don't want to get hokey, man, but the abundance mindset, the belief, it starts with the belief that you can have both things. Yep. You know, I, and, and I don't even begin to understand the challenge that mothers go through. Um, I, I, I'm, I try to be sensitive to it. I work really hard to be sensitive to it in my own household and in people that work here and friends and family and colleagues and clients and all that stuff. But um, I, I think it's a really unfair position that women get put in um, having to ha- having societal norms really force the issue for work and home life balance. Sure, you know achievement, and it, it's just it's kind of unfair. But I do know this that if you can't decide here that it's possible, then you won't have that balance that you seek. Um, I'm blessed to have a wife that allows me to focus a little bit of time most days on myself. And I, and I certainly, I mean, I get up at the crack of dawn and I do it while the kids are asleep because sure. if I had to do it at six o'clock while she was fixing dinner, it would not happen. Yeah. You know, or while I need to be fixing dinner. Um, so that's that. That's my answer, man. I hope it wasn't too. No, I mean that's exactly what I was long looking for. and windy. But um, the truth is, yeah, I'm trying to be a better person because I know that my business won't get better unless I am. Yeah. So basically, outlook on 2018 positive. Very positive. I, I mean, I think I think um, the gener- the real estate market has been good. The general economy is reaching a crescendo. It has to be. Um, but. All the things that I've always professed are still true, and they will be true tomorrow. There you go. Well, I think we'll do something like this again maybe later on in the year. We'll do a checkup and kind of take a look at where things are again and revisit some of these yeah, ideas. twice a year, once a quarter, something like that. Yeah, there you go. I like it. I, you know, and I like walking in here, sitting down, knowing that there's no guest, and I don't have a clue what you're going to ask me. I know. I think I'm at my best sometimes. Not too bad. Yeah, I mean, you, you made it through all of those. It sounded like you had something prepared almost for each one, so that's good. Okay, so here's a question for you. All right. Oh, Before gosh, we, we end up, I'm going to put you on the spot. How's your 28 going to finish up? 2018. It's going to finish up good. Okay. You're off to a good start. No kidding. Talking about fitness goals. Fitness goals, swole is the goal. Swole is the goal in 2018. (laughs) So you're talking about being in the gym three times a week last year. That's me this year. So last year I did not set foot in the gym one day out of 365. Oh, wow. But so far I've been in the gym three times a week, every week since the beginning of January and haven't quit yet. so. So here's what I'll tell you. I'll tell you this. With big ambition comes stress. True. And 
nothing burns the stress away better than a good workout. Oh, that's true. And it's, I mean, seriously, it like, it, it keeps me sane. Yeah, and it's like our coach, Bill Pipes, told us. Bill Pipes is a friend of us. We're going to have to have him on the show sometime soon, though. But his, his advice to me at the beginning of this year was not to focus on a bunch of goals. Find one and zero in and go super deep. That's and it. for me, making sure I was up and at the gym every morning I was supposed to is just the one thing I'm going deep on, and it's had effects on other things. And you have accountability. Yep, you do have, have accountability. Yeah, I have a partner that goes with me and makes sure that I'm there. So. And swallows the goal. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's it for today. We're going to be back with another episode soon. We have a lot of more guests on the way. Uh, If you're looking for more information or you have some questions about some of the stuff we talked about today, as you know, you can always find us on resourcepodcast.net or find us on social. Send us a message. Ask us your questions. We want to hear from you and give you all the feedback that you're looking for. Thanks, folks. Appreciate you joining in. Yep. Bye-bye.